0: Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa-Falston area between Baltimore and Bel-Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching.
1: Well, I'd like to turn your attention this morning to the 12th chapter of Revelation. (laughs) Revelation. Moving on up, chapter 12. Deluxe bombing in the sky. I need an organ and my my James Brown robe. Uh, uh, Well, we just entered into the second half of Revelation. We've made it. Um, And over the next few weeks, you're going to notice a shift. A shift in this book. Uh, And if you remember how Revelation started in the first half, he first uh, introduces that that this is a book written for the church. So who's Revelation written to? Me and you. Uh, And he then does the seven letters to the seven churches in chapters two and three. Well, now we're starting the second half of Revelation. And Jesus is now introducing to the church... The beast. Over the next few weeks, Jesus is going to tell us all about Satan and how he operates and how he moves in and amongst his people and God's people and ultimately how he is defeated. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, so, uh, with that, I'd like to hop into chapter 12 this morning. But before we do that, I'd like to get a running start in the chapter 11, verse 15. Uh, so we're, we're going to get a running start to our text in chapter 11, verse 15, because there's this wonderful thing we always want to remember when we're reading the Bible called context. Uh, so let's let's read it. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there was loud uh, voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. How awesome is that? And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was for you have taken your great power taken your great power and begun to reign. So the is to come is replaced by is reigning. Uh, the nations raged, Psalm 2, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple and there was flashings, uh, flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy Hail now, chapter 12, we are about to be introduced to a woman. And so far in this book, we have been introduced to a woman named Jezebel, but this is not Jezebel. This seems to be, uh, this is a different woman. Uh, and so for your understanding, there's a few different women introduced in this book. Some good, some evil. Now, who is this woman? And there are lots of different thoughts here. Uh, but she seems to be a type or a representation of God's people. And I believe specifically believing Israel. One of the clues to this is the 12 stars on her head representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And chapter 12 is going to keep Pointing in that direction. Also, if we want to keep chapter eleven in mind, we are in the context of the two witnesses, who are the two trees, who are the two lampstands, which are placed in the great city, the city where the where Jesus was killed in Jerusalem. So we're already in the context of Jerusalem and the temple. So this woman in today's story seems to be a type for faithful Israel. With that, let's let's dig in, uh, chapter twelve, verse one. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Now notice there's two signs. Behold. Whenever you see that in Scripture, Pay attention. <laughs> Behold, look, observe, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he may devour it. What a Story, This is, right? Like, John is shaken because there's an earthquake in heaven. And and, and and now he's on earth and he looks up into heaven and sees a beautiful, radiant woman clothed in the sun. Imagine what that looks like. And then she sees that she's pregnant and she starts crying out in agony and I don't know if anyone's ever been present for a birth before, or maybe you were the one giving birth, but this is a non-epidural birth. (laughs) (laughs) When my wife was giving birth, I wanted one too. We could have a his and hers. Uh, (laughs) This is a painful birth. This is a birth of agony. And then a sign appears in heaven And already there's chaos because she's in labor. And John sees a hideous, grotesque, horrible monster. And if there wasn't already enough chaos with this woman going into labor and screaming, this revolting, ghastly, macabre, monstrous monster in the delivery room of space swings its tail and knocks down a third of the stars in the sky, and then the dragon stands up like, like a cobra, ready to strike like, like a dragon ready to charge and eat uh, to, he, he, ready to stands up to eat this soon to be delivered baby. This scene appears to be absolute chaos and then verse five <clears throat> She gave birth to a male child. The child was born. One who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,200 years. And 60 days. And just before the dragon eats the child, who we are told is the promised son of David from Psalm 2. Kiss the son lest we perish on the way. Here's the son, the one who will rule the nations with a rod of iron, who will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Just before the child is consumed, the child was caught up to God, to his throne. And the woman, as we'll look at another time, was taken into the wilderness for three and a half years and saved by God. And the dragon left hungry. (laughs) And that's today's text. Can you believe it? Uh, Now you may be thinking, what in the world is this story about? Well, to understand, let's start with the woman why is the woman, faithful Israel, in labor, pain uh, to give birth to the child? And the answer is because she was. This scene is not just prophetic of what is to come to pass, but is also descriptive of what has already come to pass. It, it was out of great anguish and labor that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. From the line of Father Abraham and David. And this anguish of labor, this agony, began all the way back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, God promises the woman Eve uh, that, that a seed, a child is coming who will crush the head of the serpent. This dragon, and biblically, just so you know, dragons in Scripture are described as the largest serpents. So Satan is both a snake and a dragon, according to the Bible. And God told Eve after they ate that fruit, why did you eat that fruit? They ate the fruit. And God told Eve after they had sinned and ate, Genesis 3.16, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. The, the promised son, the seed, who would come through the woman, but through much pain. And all through the Old Testament, Jesus is coming. The entire Old Testament is telling us, is prophesying, is showing, is, is giving us foreshadows that the promised son of the woman of Genesis 3 is coming, but through Agony. God tells Eve, you are going to bear a seed, and he will crush the head of the serpent. And then they have beautiful Abel. And God raises up Cain and kills him. Agony. Esau chooses Isaac. Agony. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Agony. The Israelites then become a nation of slaves, and they cry out to God day and night as they're abused. Agony. The entirety of the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, the law, the failures of the judges, the kings, and the prophets. It was all birth pains leading to the seed who would overcome the serpent of old, that mean old dragon. But that the birth pains would be agony. The Old Testament is tragedy after tragedy. Exile after exile destroyed temple after destroyed temple. And just when all seemed lost and Israel was becoming a new Egypt under Herod, under the Pharisees, under Rome and paganism, boom! For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Isaiah prophesied that this child would be born, and oh, what a child this would be. Of his increase, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There is no end to the peace that this child is bringing. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. When the babe was born, peace was here, justice was here, righteousness was here, forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the birth of the Son of God, it is in the Son in the that the agony is silenced. When Jesus was born, the angels filled the sky over Bethlehem and sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And Satan, that ill-tempered, pernicious dragon, was furious. The dragon, when that babe was born, it says that Herod was in his palace, and had a temper, temper. He completely lost his mind in rage. And so when Jesus was born, the dragon stood up to devour the child as he had in Cain. As he had in Lamech and Pharaoh and Saul and Ahab and Jezebel. And now he uses Herod at the birth of Christ. What did Herod do? He reared up and he ordered the death of every child under three in Bethlehem to be slaughtered. The dragon reared up to devour once more. But this time, the child was spared. And the son lived, and this child not only grew up to be the prince of peace, he also grew up to be a dragon slayer. (laughs) And this is why the second half of the book of Revelation opens this way. Satan is going to be crushed by this kid. And Satan was absolutely defeated at the cross. But he still slithers around. But in the end of this book, the destroyer is going to be devoured himself in the lake of fire. And it all happens through this little boy. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus, the child, is described in verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Jesus' birth. His life. We we have to understand. Jesus was a Jewish man in a Jewish country, but he wasn't just for the Jewish people. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords of Pasho Ethnos of all nations. Jesus was not born as the hope to only Israel. He is the hope of the nations. Is that our nation? Are we lost? No, because he's the hope. He's not Lord of some of the nations, most of the nations, barely a few. He's Lord of all the nations. He's Lord of China. He's Lord of North Korea. He's Lord of the nations, all the nations. And he is the wonderful counselor of all the nations. The mighty God of all the nations. The everlasting Father. I and the Father are one, Jesus said, of all the nations. He's the Prince of Peace of all the nations. God could start a revival in North Korea today. And they could burn their war boots tomorrow. <laughs> or today, if he wanted to. <sighs> Jesus is the gift of gift to all humanity. And you see... And it's necessary we understand this. There are a million ways to hell. But there is one way to heaven. There are many, there are not many paths to heaven. There are not many ways to peace with God. There is no plan B. This son, Jesus is it. He is our salvation and he is our hope of heaven. You see, God so loved the world that he gave us multiple options. No. (laughs) The last thing, the last thing we give away is the most precious to us. And he sent prophet after prophet and king after king and leader after leader and we butchered them all. And he said, I will send my boy. There is salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Now, either people accept God's means of salvation Or they reject it. You know, we all have our choices to make, don't we? You can say no, it's your choice. But according to the Bible, God has provided one way to be saved, and that is not through good church attendance. That is not because you tithe 10%, or good works, or a sense of justice, or social change. No, it is through the Son. And there is no other option to forge our own path. You see, when our father and mother, Adam and Eve, sinned, they plunged us into darkness. So you blame them. Uh, (laughs) You know, but we have to remember they were the best of us. Adam and Eve weren't bumbling around, oh, let's eat some bad fruit. No, they were perfect, they were beautiful, they were wise. They were smart, brilliant, but they liked sin, and they chose sin. You see, we're all sinners. We've all been born into sin from our parents, and we all choose sin as adults. None of us are perfect, but the reality is because we are all sinners and born into sin, then we have no right to live In perfect peace with a perfect God. Because we are not perfect. And if God let us sinners into heaven without any sort of propitiation. Without any sort of justification. Without any sort of salvation. That would mean he he was not a just God. Because a just God has to deal with sin. He has to deal with injustice. And we are sinners. God is not good if he lets us slide. Do you understand? But God so loved the world, he provided a way. And he came and he lived a perfect life and he filled all the requirements of the law of God's perfect standards. And he told us, if we believe in the Son and we trust in the Son and and then choose him to represent us in this life and then on judgment day, we will be saved. And I want you to notice something here because this really and uh, this omission is quite astounding, what's not in these verses today. It says that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father after... Uh, well, we know from the Gospel that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father after the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and then the ascension. But here in Revelation 12, in this woman-dragon vision, it skips that part of Jesus' ministry... And jumps right from the birth to the enthronement. You notice this. If we were writing this, wouldn't we add something about the cross? And the reason why is found in the context. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus and his ascent to the throne here is framed within the dragon's attempt to stop God's plans. And yet the cross again is not mentioned. And here's the point. The reason Revelation 12 jumps straight from the incarnation to Jesus on the throne is because at no point was Satan victorious in devouring the child. God is revealing to us here that the cross of this child, and remember, Jesus came to die. That little seven pound baby in swaddling clothes was to be raised as a sacrifice and the cross of that little child the cross of Jesus Christ we have to understand was not a bump in the road was not a hiccup in God's plans was not a close call And us humans, we may be tempted to add the cross to this story as Satan almost getting the child. Like, oh, Satan almost got him. But that's not how this story is told. The way this story is told is that Satan was defeated from the moment the child was born. That at the cross, the death of Jesus was not the moment of the child's devouring. It was the moment the throne was eternally secured. St. Augustine once wrote, The devil exulted when Christ died. But by his very death, by this very death of Christ, the devil was vanquished, as if he had swallowed the bait in the mousetrap. The cross of the Lord was the devil's mousetrap. The bait by which he was caught was the Lord's death. The dragon thought lunch was served on Mount Calvary. and yet it's the exact opposite. The child was not destroyed and digested down into the dragon's bowels, but was exalted to the very heights of heaven. Jesus said in John 3, as as the bronze serpent was raised in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted, lifted up. The cross was part of his raising. The, The cross was part of his enthronement. And so Jesus didn't almost devour Jesus at the cross he helped crown him. And so Revelation 12 doesn't speak of the cross from the position of the dragon's advancement because there was no advancement. When Jesus said it was finished, Jesus our Satan was forever doomed. And as the first of many brethren when Jesus when we believe in Jesus and we believe in all that he said and did and when we die, we stand before him, and him on his glorious throne above all thrones, the God most high. Through Jesus' righteousness, through Jesus' perfection, through, through faith in the cleansing power of Jesus' blood, we will not just be saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus did not just die to save you from a spanking. Jesus also died so that we may be glorified and saved forever from the very presence of sin. When you die, it's not just like, okay, you're not in hell. It's you're not in hell and welcome into my glorious eternity. Jesus forever bars us from the pain and sickness and disease that is death. From the pain of loss, it says he wipes every tear from our eye. Jesus died to not only die for our sins, but to remove it eternally from us. Now, I was really tempted to end the sermon here because you don't get better than just the gospel. (laughs) But there was something on my heart that I really, really wanted to share. So a little epilogue of sorts. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. You know, as God's people, we're supposed to be a people who are students of, the, uh, of God's word. Did you know that? You're supposed to study God's word. And remember, remember, what Joshua in Joshua 1, the, the story in, in verse 8. Joshua, uh, this, is, this is what God said to Joshua in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You need to speak the word. But you shall meditate on it day and night. You need to think on the word. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. And you need to live the word. We are to be a people given to the word. And a mistake we can make here as we look at Revelation chapter 12 is to think this is how Satan used to be. Yeah, Satan is defeated and he was defeated at the cross, but he has not yet been cast into hell. And this book was written to the church, to God's people, to tell us something. And this passage says many things, but... One of the things Jesus is revealing revealing to us today is that Satan is a devourer. God wants the church to know, he wants you to know that Satan is real and he is a devourer. Now we already know according to 1 Peter 5 that Satan walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But we also see that he slithers around like a dragon seeking who he may devour. Devour. And specifically, I want you to notice what he is seeking to devour a child. The Word of God has shown us over and over and over again that Satan delights and loves to devour children, he is evil. And specifically, his delicacy, he loves to devour the godly's children. In Genesis 4, Satan goes after two sons, the godly son. In Exodus 1, Pharaoh goes after the Hebrew children, throws them in the Nile. In in, in the wilderness, in Cana, remember the gods of Baal. He wanted our children in child sacrifice. In, 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 in Matthew, Herod goes after God's children. Satan is a devourer of men, but he seems to specifically and especially delight in devouring children. And so here's our epilogue to today's story, today's study. The dragon wants our children. The dragon also wants our children's children. And he stands up to consume our little ones. Now, interesting, in Revelation 3, when Jesus is speaking to the church of Laodicea, let's see if you guys put on your thinking caps here. Because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Fun fact, that word really means to vomit. So Jesus is talking about throw up. Uh, <laughs> And if Jesus can, I can too. Um, According to Jesus in Revelation 3, doesn't Jesus also consume people? Oh, yeah, I guess. The church. We become, to use Paul's language, a part of the body of Christ. And this shouldn't be strange to us because what do we do at the Lord's table at communion? We eat the Lord's body. So we consume Jesus. We have his bread, his body, and the wine, or grape juice, (laughs) his blood. So as believers, we consume the Lord, but also, according to the Bible, the Lord consumes us. So here's the point as we tie all this together, specifically in the book of Revelation. First, children will be consumed. The question is, who consumes them? As Christian parents and grandparents and and as uh, uh, adult Christians. Who are we giving our young people to? The dragon or the Christ? Because let me tell you, and and this this is hard. No matter how much faith that I have. No matter how much my kids see me praying or reading my Bible. My kids have to make up their own decisions. To follow the Lord or not? That's their choice. As scary as it is. I cannot make that for them. The horror of not seeing my children in heaven. Is beyond anything I can bear. But I can't make it for them. But as their parent. I can choose who I offer them to. I can choose to dedicate them to church. At church. I can bring them and raise them in the way and do family Bible time and teach them and live a godly, wholesome life before them. Or I can give them to the dragon and let the world raise them. I can give them the YouTube and school to parent them in morality and righteousness. You know, we see this all the time with sports. A coach is not a father, (laughs) It's great that there's these God, you know, influences in, in people's lives, but it's our job as parents to raise them in the way. So children will be consumed. The question is, who consumes them? And I'm telling you now, if, if you're a parent, a grandparent, even if you're a child, you need to know who's going after you, <laughs> If you're single, you need to know what you need to prepare for. This, this is something every single one of us have to remember. We have to live this. We have to counsel this. Because listen, we are all going to die. You are going to die. I am going to die. And we are going to be replaced by a new generation. By those little faces in that building next door. They're it. They're next. They're here. They're the legacy. And we need to know what we're offering them to. If we do not offer our young people and our children and our babies to God, and or if he doesn't catch them up himself, they will be left for the dragon to be consumed. And 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us we cannot be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. We cannot. We have to be wise about this. If you notice, as I've gone through Revelation, typically you'll hear Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Be prepared. Ready your hearts. The problem with this sort of eschatology, with this study of the end times, that the return of Christ is imminent, which it is. Jesus could come back before I finish this sentence. Right? I, I'll take that plan. But we may still be the early church. This could go on for 100,000 more years. We need to be building. How many times did Jesus give us parables that when he returns, he doesn't want to see people waiting. He wants to see people working. Manning the door, raising our children, preparing the food, plowing the fields at the grain mill. He wants to see us busy, consumed with our father's work. And let me tell you, yes, that's us, but it's also who's coming after us. We have to stop thinking short term. Satan has played the long game and he's eating our country. We have to start playing the long game too. We have to start building. When the the pilgrims came to America, they didn't build mud huts thinking Jesus was coming back in an hour. They planted institutions and universities and hospitals because they knew maybe not. Maybe this goes on much, much longer. Maybe this goes on far after we're dead and they planned and prepared and we've stopped. We can't stop. We have to give our children to God and train them in the way. We have to pour into our young people and show them the way. And now the secondly, this this consuming is not just unique to children. Satan doesn't only want to eat babies. He also wants to eat you. This applies to all of us. we either caught up to God and become part of his body or consumed by the dragon. And there is no third option. You're going to get eaten. Who's going to eat you? So I want to encourage you to present yourself to the lover of your soul. To the Father through faith. In his son, God has provided a means to salvation and it is through his dearly beloved boy. And if we are to run to the father and wrap our arms around him and I love you, dad, if that's ever going to happen and if you're ever going to hear well done, good and faithful servant, it's because you accepted the means with which he has provided You're not going to stand before him and go, oh, man, you didn't miss a Sunday in 35 years. (laughs) Come on in. You only said 62 F-words. Wow, come on in. All while driving. Good job. You paid most of your taxes. Now, you beat Gandhi on that one. Whatever. Did you have faith in the sun? Did you live in the reality of the Son? We have two. The Father who so loved the world that he gave his Son to save it. And Satan who so loves himself that he consumes our sons and daughters to damn them. And these are our two masters. As Jesus would say, you cannot love both. Choose we must choose who we will follow. We must choose who we will worship and be consumed by. And you know what? This is another thing that's gone so wrong. It's become, I raised my hand at a rally, accepted Jesus Christ 25 years ago. I'm good to go. No. We have to choose Christ every day. We have to choose who we offer ourselves to Every day. And we have to choose who we offer our children to. Every day. If you only give your child to Christ on Sunday, it's probably not going to work. The dragon can't have them the other six and three quarters of the week, you know, days of the week. And so, as we close our little epitaph here, or uh, uh, epilogue, May the war drums and the rallying cries of our home be the same as Joshua in Joshua 24:15. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Don't you like that? Choose. It's not making anyone do anything. Christians, we don't make anyone do anything. Do what you want to do, serve who you want to serve. Worship what you want to worship. You want to worship your job and your body? Go for it. It's your prerogative. But then Joshua says this most beautiful thing. And may it be our rallying cry, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. God, we... We thank you that you have made us aware of the dragon's intentions. God, we pray that we may live life in the reality of the sun. That we may desire and love and grow and be conformed into the image of the sun. And may we rejoice and offer our kids to the provisions that you have provided in the sun. And God, we do pray that maybe you come back by the end of this week and that sounds great if you're waiting on my my advice. But may we run our race well. Even if that means we're old and in hospice somewhere. May, may we press on, contend, strive, enter the, the, the narrow way. May we be busy. May we be with our hand to the plow when our time comes. May we be both salt and light. May we preserve this country. May, may we be a part of the advancement of your kingdom upon the nations that are your inheritance. God, we do pray that you would be with our young people. We see what's happening to the youth in this country. It's so horrific, God. We pray for your mercy. And God, we pray for the church to stand up. Our Father, our... You have provided a dragon slayer who is our brother, and we are to look like that dragon slayer as we grow and mature in faith. So may we all slay some dragons this week. (laughs) And God, we pray for those who do not know you. Dragons bite and they hurt. (laughs) God, we, we pray that they may know you today and live for you today. There's no special prayer to be had. It's a life laid down daily for you and your glory. If anyone needs prayer today, anyone needs special prayer, we ask that they may go see the, the prayer team off by the side of the building here. God, we pray that you give strength to our bodies that we may run well. We pray that you may give us strength to our minds that we may think well. May we be as the disciples that we are ordinary people but have spent time with Jesus. And so we are something different. Let us be holy as you are holy, separated to you. And in Jesus' name, all who agreed said, amen. Let's stand and
0: worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word. To share the word and join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.